and welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where we discuss your questions and our experiences with the Elixir programming language and ecosystem. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I am here with Chris Bell. Hello, Desmond Bowie. How's your day going? It's going pretty well. I mean, I'm sort of here with you. We're here together in the podcast. What does that, what does that mean? What, to be together? Yeah. Well, we're sort of together digitally, if not physically. I'm, I'm, I'm glad of that fact. Very glad hmm. of that. So, uh, did you hear the news this week? Uh, which news is that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of news, right? I mean, it's a, it's a week, but uh, my the news that I'm referring to is that the Bike Shed, which is a popular programming podcast that has been a big inspiration for, I think, us doing this podcast. The two co-hosts are, have gone their separate ways. Um, and I'm kind of sad about that. I've been a long time mm-hmm. listener of that podcast. So for those who don't know, who haven't listened, so it's a Thoughtbot podcast called The Bike Shed, hosted by Derek and Sean, and basically talks about a lot of web programming kind of things. It's been going on for four years or so, and uh, I was a pretty long time listener. And yeah, I, I, I treat that as a big inspiration for us doing this podcast. So before I wanted to go on, I just wanted to say, if anyone out there hasn't listened to it, just go back and listen to The Bike Shed. Really fantastic content. Um, and they do a really good job of keeping it funny, which I don't know if we do such a good job of. So there we go. <laughs> I think we do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I I aspire to deliver content on at the level that they deliver content at. So I think thank you, Sean and Derek, if you listen to this. Uh, if you don't, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm just really, I, 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 yeah, I was sad when you said that your podcast is ending. So I wanted to call it out. Why is it ending? Um, Sean just, no, sorry, Derek just took a job at GitHub. Mm. So he's no longer at Thoughtbot. So the podcast is carrying on. There'll be another. There'll be another host. I'm just, uh, you know, all good things and all that. Like the TNG episode, the last one that was actually named "All Good Things." Do you remember that one? I do. That was a great one. Great episode. Picard thinks he's losing his mind, and then the Enterprise emerges with a third nacelle. Excellent. That's obviously one of the highlights of the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> when it shows up at the last second to blast that ship. Yeah, oh it's God. really badass. So, yeah. Yeah. I also like um, in the future when Data is this professor at Oxford or something. Exactly. Exactly. And he's got a lock of gray in his hair. Anyway, well, let's talk about Elixir, Desmond. No, wait. We talk about Star Trek on, the, on this podcast. I know. Okay. But now I'm nostalgic. <laughs> I was thinking about watching Star Trek recently. I somehow uh, the subject of like early role models came up and I got to thinking, what are some of my role models? And what popped into my head was Captain Picard. I thought one of your role models was Rich Hickey. At one point it was. Oh, really? I knew it. I thought that. But Picard has been a longstanding role model for me as well. In fact, so much so that I often feel like when I'm like, I want someone to do something, I'm like, make it so. <laughs> and then chuckle to myself, but I don't think anyone else finds that funny. So <laughs> I'm sure they know what it's from. I I hope so. Otherwise, I'm probably going to fire them. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, the thing is, I don't think Picard ever fired anyone. Really, didn't he? No, I think he's a very well-rounded manager. <laughs> well, the crew was pretty good. Yeah, that's true. I think that was 
This is ridiculous. <laughs> we can't. Keep, we just can't keep doing this. Uh, I think we've got to talk about Elixir one point seven coming out. So I don't just like go on a rant about Picard leadership style for the next hour. All right. Well, the last the last point I want to make about this is there is a Twitter account called um, Picard Management Tips. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I get everything from there. Yeah, great, great Twitter account. Just distills a lot of Picard wisdom uh, into daily aphorisms that you can take <laughs> and internalize, and then go forth and make it make so. Them so. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> and on that note, so let's talk about Elixir. What's uh, did you see the one point seven release? I did. Um, I have not upgraded yet. You haven't. Nope. So, how do you feel about like brand new releases? Do you often like just go jump straight to it? Are you a hold off kind of guy? Like, how do you approach it? In personal stuff, I tend to jump into it pretty quickly. In production, our I I was uh, talking the other week about our Kubernetes setup, mm. and it makes it sort of difficult to upgrade. How come? There's just a lot of moving pieces that you have to change. And when you have a production app with users on it, then there's just more things to think about. And it hasn't been a top priority Mm. for us. Um, We are going to have a a big infrastructure push in the next, I would say, two to three weeks. So it's probably a good time to roll that in to some of the other maintenance work we need to do. But haven't gotten around to it. I mean, I mentioned the other day I'm excited about this error logging feature. But we did just switch to timber, so it's less pressing. Although I don't know if timber captures like crash logs. Uh, I think it does actually because it uses the Sassel kind of logger. So, uh, do you want to explain what timber is for those those folks out there? Timber is a hosted logging solution that you integrate with your app, and then there's a couple ways you can do it. You can either have it pipe your logs to standard out and have them captured by some other service and then sent into timber or you can use their library to send your logs to them over http and it uses buffering to capture things and it manages its own hackney pool to send things off and it's pretty performant there is the risk of you're holding some of these logs in memory until they get flushed so you can lose some of them when your system goes down or gets restarted or something Mm -hmm. but for the most part i think it's fine um, yeah, so uh, Frame is a customer of Timber actually right now as well. So full disclosure. So I, I think one of the, the really nice things about Timber, if you haven't used kind of a login solution like this, is uh, first of all, like aggregated logs. And then second of all, the thing that I really like is their user context feature. So you can tag every log coming from your API with the user that's performing the action that you're doing. And then it gives you a really nice UI for being able to search for all the logs from that user and things like that. So super useful when you're debugging sometimes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, we've been using um, Google Stack Driver and it just wasn't that good. I don't know. It's kind of a pain. Is that their like cloud watch kind of logs yeah. competitor thing that just yeah, fits in to the stack? I mean, it feels very bolted on. Mm. So... We had to write our own custom integration with it, and then we had to deal with our own, like, log bufferer, and it was kind of a pain. Right. So is that why you switched to Timber? Just Yeah, it's just a lot of extra work and other things to support when we could just drop in a library and have it do that stuff for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the Timber setup is really good, actually. So uh, kudos to David 
and the team at Timber for uh, all their work on that. I, I think like being able to just drop it in and it, it kind of just magically works and there isn't that much configuration you have to do and uh, logs just start flowing over to Timber and then you can go in and check it out and search by a particular user once you've got that set up and thinks it's yeah, it works pretty well. Have you ever used Elasticsearch and Logstash and Kibana? Yeah, so actually, so we have an interesting login solution right now. So right now, our Docker container basically will be logging to standard out and also to Timber at the same time. So we run both in our logging configuration on our Phoenix apps. We'll be running both uh, standard out logging and Timber at the same time. And the reason why we do that is because we log to standard out that goes into CloudWatch logs and then we basically pipe that into Kibana uh, via Elastic, into an Elasticsearch cluster that's hosted on AWS, as well as going to Timber. So we, and we do that pretty much because we have a security team that analyzes our logs as well for threat detection and things like that. Mm. Um, and they're doing that in parallel to our logs going somewhere else. So that's something that like we are basically duplicating the storage of our logs right now. So maybe not ideal, but something to investigate in the future but i think kapana is pretty good it, it, it depends on one of those like do you want to host it yourself kind of questions right like hosting Elasticsearch is not fun no and that's why i ended up moving away from it a couple of years ago we are hiring a, a devops person at work and some of the things that have come up in our interviews are what's the logging situation and it seems like if we do hire when we hire someone that one of the things that they would be interested in setting up is this kind of self-hosted solution. I don't want to manage an Elasticsearch cluster. I've been bitten several times by like the thing running out of memory or you haven't got your shards configured correctly or whatever. And then there was the time when Kibana upgraded from, I think it was version two to version three several years ago. Hmm. And it broke everything. You had to rewrite all your dashboards. That's annoying. And, you know, complaining about free software is... A controversial topic but it was still like oh come on really yeah i guess it's like become kind of one of those like de facto solutions at this point as well right like it's owned by the elastic company yeah like it's yeah, a proper yeah. product now yeah and um, so actually we are a huge user of elastic.co who are actually weirdly in the building just uh like six floors below us right now <laughs> oh yeah yeah like <laughs> We th- we uh, we had this email conversation with them where they're like, "Hey, so I see you're using your product. Do you want to like stop in? We're also in New York." And we're like, "Cool, where are you?" And they're like, "Oh, this is our address." And we're like, "Yeah, we're on the tenth floor of that building." <laughs> so clearly, no one reads the building directory in our building because otherwise, we could have just seen it like that instead of having an email back and forth. But Elastic has been great, really good hosted, uh, kind of managed Elasticsearch. And actually, I will. Like the the AWS Elasticsearch, we've had nothing but problems with. Like we've had the clusters go down. We've had the support team look at it like countless times, just because we process like a quite a lot of logs, I guess at this point. So, and I think sometimes like the the, the Elasticsearch workers get if you if there isn't a worker available to write to the like the log pool or whatever, like basically some things get dropped and then like we're dropping logs and it's just been a bit of a nightmare so but we've had none of those problems with our elastic.co cluster so i would say if you're on the market hosted elastic search and you're dealing with something like uh quite large scale maybe consider doing that rather than doing the aws solution is it expensive 
I honestly can't say because I don't pay the bills and I haven't looked. <laughs> That's like one part of the infrastructure bill that I have a complete blind spot for. Uh-huh. Um, don't tell my boss, uh, but I'm sure that's okay. Um, but yeah, there you go. But I, I don't think it's that bad. I think it's comparable, if I remember rightly. Comparable to AWS? Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we could investigate a managed solution for that. Again, like if this DevOps person wants to come in and deal with it themselves, fine. I mean, from my point of view, I would rather have it be hosted or just not deal with it, which is why Timber seemed like a reasonable step, because our logging situation before on Stackdriver was not great, so I just wanted something better that could last forever, or we could swap it out in the future if if need be. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because, like, the uh, Elixir logger, first of all, is pretty good, right? Like, I would say, like, good configuration out of the box, like, fairly easy to customize, like, all those kinds of things, and, like, I think the protocol is fairly... I think David's going to disagree with me if he listens to this because he works on Timber all day and he probably has had a lot of issues with it. But (laughs) from a complete bystander perspective, like getting something like Timber integrated into your app is very straightforward, right? And then immediately like logs start flowing somewhere else and like that's a good thing. I think like having that configurable logger out of the box is pretty powerful. And then... You're also building on top of um, the Sassel logger, the, the the kind of Erlang standard error logging thing. I'm just going to look up what that stands for because I can't remember. So, oh, it doesn't tell you. That's annoying. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sassel stands for System Architecture Support Libraries. System architecture support libraries. There we go, folks. So the Sassel logger basically deals with error crashes and things like that for you. And I think it provides a pretty standard way to deal with that. So it formats for standard Sassel errors and crash reports. So you can have a standard format for dealing with it. And then, uh, you know, that's that. I'm sure everyone here has, has seen that, like where you have that ridiculous, like process stack trace from Erlang when your application crashes and you're kind of digging through to see what's actually happened. Mm-hmm. Have you had many of those in like anger, like actually like production's gone down and you're like, fuck, I don't know what's going on, you know, that kind of thing. No, I mean, I see that sometimes like when we're building a release in production, Mm. But I've never had production go down and had to debug that sort of thing. Yeah. No, me either, like, weirdly. Um, I guess I also don't pay that much attention to the errors coming out. Like I, So um, what do you use for error reporting right now? Our client relations guy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a real answer? <laughs> are, you, are you seriously going to say that on a, on a podcast and, and just be okay with that? Uh, I'm being vulnerable with all you listeners out I here. I know. So. Wow. Wow. That's you heard it here first. Um, so we've been running Sentry for a long time, and Sentry is honestly a fantastic error logging solution. So if you are sane and not like Desmond uh, <laughs> and are looking for a solution, I've used Honey Badger in the past as well, but I actually have a preference these days for Sentry. I think Sentry deals with the user kind of centric nature of errors very well and has a pretty great UI for being able to kind of drill down into an error. The stack trace reporting is pretty good. Um, yeah, they do a good job. Like, very have been, like, nothing but happy with that. And we we run that across our entire stack. So, basically, all of the services are sending to Sentry. 
The problem I found with Honey Badger in Elixir apps is that it's very much built for web requests. And so if you're if something crashes along the line during your web request, then it'll catch it. But if you forked off work somewhere else, you have other processes running and gen servers holding state or just another part of your system that's humming along and runs into some issue and then it crashes, but it's out of band of a web request, then Honey Badger is not going to catch that. Or you have to like manually instrument the process or do dangerous things in a try catch loop. Sentry, the Sentry Elixir library has a way to capture all of the error messages so that are outside of the plug error handler, right? Because that's what you're talking about there. So um, dealing with errors that are out of your web request, so something that's happening in a process external to that web process. And like my, I think probably Honey Badger does this as well. There's a way that you can basically say for the error logger, add a report handler so that we'll get notified if there's any of these like larger system crashes or any other process crashes. And then we'll be able to take that, take the stack trace and then send to Sentry. Um, so there's definitely ways around that. Um, and uh, like, again, I have had nothing but good things to say for, for Sentry. It does a really good job, especially with those kind of like out of web request errors and gives you a decent stack trace as well. I mean, this is why... I was excited last time about the new error logger in Elixir 1.7 because it takes a formerly multi-line string that's a crash report and some stack trace and the initial call and so forth, and it formats it well, like in a nice tuple with the module or the process information that crashed or the reason, and then I think the, the stack trace is, is implemented as a proper list, like as a data structure. So you then you can it's easier to plug into this logger with your own backend and capture these crash reports and then pass them up somewhere. Mm. So the situation should get better soon. Yeah, definitely. But I I mean, like I would still like the thing that I really like about things like Sentry and like manage things like this, like first of all, like Sentry gives you like this really nice pulse of like the number of errors that have been happening in your app and the number of users that have been uh, kind of affected by those errors as well. And you have this like great way to go in and be like, what's actually important you know and i think like signal from the noise is so important in all of these tools like and it's the same for your logger right like most of the time like with i was having this conversation with uh zach and ben from timber actually like most of the time like your your logger app or something that's dealing with logs you're not even going to look at right the only reason why you ever need to jump into that is like when something is like something's gone wrong, yeah, quote unquote, the shit is hitting the fan, right? Like that's 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 quote when... unquote. <laughs> don't know why I did that, um, but I, I think like that's it. So you, they're the times where you have to say like you're you're seeing errors and you need to jump in and have a really clear and actionable way to deal with those errors, or at least like know how to start debugging it, right? Um, so something that we did really early on is like basically log out every single thing that was going on like every separate process that was being called like had a very very robust kind of logging but it was so noisy that you could never even figure out like what the source was why you would even care about that log line and and things like that and actually what i found to be much more beneficial at this point is basically having that user-centric kind of context because the chances are like as you were saying like your client relations team or your customer support team are going to be the ones to know most of the time right so they're on the front lines and they're like hey uh like susan x is having an issue with this part of the app and then typically our, our first point of call with debugging is like oh have we seen any errors from them 
and then we go from there and like we'll do that both in sentry and in timber and i think like where i'm going with all of this is like logging and errors and all of these ideas like having something that's unified would be would be great for me something that i wish is that we could see not only logs errors and then uh, i would want to see like metrics all in one place as well well, Datadog, do- Datadog does all this. It does, yeah. I don't know if it does the error part. It definitely, you're right, though. It does the logging and the metrics part now. And, like, actually, on their graphs, if you're using a logger, you can hover over a point in the graph and be like, right-click, go to go to logs that correspond yeah. to this point in the graph as well for a given application, which is, like, kind of mind-blowing at this point. So is it worth using Datadog logs and something like Timber logs? I think you would not need both if you were going to look at that. Um, I also, like, massive caveat, like, have not looked at what the Datadog Elixir integration would look like right now for the logger. For the StatsD kind of implementation for monitoring and metrics, that's very different. But Mm -hmm. um, I haven't looked at, like, what it what it means to ship logs to Datadog and what you have to run outside of, like, the system logger or whatever it might be. It seems like it would be pretty straightforward to have another logger backend that you hook into your app and ships things off over HTTP. Definitely, and I hope that's the case, uh, especially with something like Datadog. I'm sure they thought about it. I'm sure like it's fairly straightforward. I'm sure right now if I search for Elixir Datadog logs, there will probably be a thing, which is uh, the benefit in having an ecosystem where things get built. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I actually... Uh, I keep saying I'm going to edit these parts one. out and then I never do. Oh, you don't? So people just nope. have to listen to this crap? I think it adds to the realism of the of the experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry everyone. People are experiencing this podcast with us. So there's also Wombat, right? Which Wombat is Erlang Solutions kind of all-in-one operations and maintenance framework for Elixir and Erlang. Oh yeah, I haven't used that. I, isn't it expensive? And they like don't have screenshots and stuff? I think, if I remember rightly, it's very custom for Erlang and for Elixir applications. So I think naturally, because of that like kind of bespokeness, they're doing some things that some of these other kind of more generic off-the-shelf solutions wouldn't do. Um, so yeah, it, it might be a bit more expensive, but I wouldn't want to comment on that without you know digging in a bit more. Mm. But uh, I believe the... The guys at Timber are actually using it for a while. So they can probably give us a bit more insight about it. But we'll we'll put all of these things in the show notes in case you're looking for this stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think for like like if you're running a simple web app and you just need the the basic kind of get your logs somewhere, ship them somewhere so you can check it out across multiple servers and things like that. Like honestly, Timber does a fantastic job like out of the box of just doing it. I'm I mean in the past I've used like the paper trails and like log stash and things like that, but I think for the ease of Elixir setup, uh, I would give Timber a big shout out in that in that regard. And then for errors, like I was saying, like Sentry is just a great product, does a really good job, allows you to really easily dig into kind of all of the uh, the stack trace and everything like that. So we don't get paid for any of these opinions either. Yeah, that's actually a really important thing. Yeah, like uh, some of our friends work there, which is a full disclaimer. Like, but if any of these companies would like to pay us, <laughs> yeah, be a sponsor, and we'll yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll give great. you a shout out. You know where to find us. Yeah, I. But yeah, definitely check out those things. And then, what are you doing for metrics? 
and kind of application level performance monitoring right now. Data dog. Oh, you are. So you're running just like StatsD and doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're just getting that up and running now. Okay. But I like that. I mean, StatsD isn't that complicated. And so you have to do some work around and we have some interesting, like we don't have traditional rest routes and whatever. All of our API goes through a single RPC endpoint. So we can't just instrument like the route. We have to kind of dig into what the request is and figure out what the uh, RPC method string that the user passed in was. So there's a little, little extra work, but it's it's not a lot of extra work. It's a couple more lines of code. And it gives us a lot more flexibility around checking every step of the way. Did someone pass in a garbage string? Oh, they passed in a valid string. Is it an authorized request? Okay. Did the request succeed? Did the request fail? Did auth succeed? Did auth fail? And I like having that kind of flexibility when I'm instrumenting something. You're using statics right now, the library? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So you're just doing like things like statics.increment and then whatever the counter is for all those kind of failed requests and things like that. Yeah, we have an interface in between us and the statics library. Okay. Yeah, so you have a module where you're using the statics yeah, library exactly. and then cut doing your configuration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, like having that power to say, like, do the increment, the decrement, the histograms, all those different kind of tracking techniques is is pretty good. You could do some really nifty things with so um, dog statsd, which is the extension of statsd. They support tags and things like that as well, so you can start tagging requests and then get that on the data da- uh, data dog dashboard if you want to drill into things like. I don't know, like what request has been error in most or whatever, and you don't want to put it in the name, you know? So what would I what would I use those tags for? Because in the documentation, it talks about putting like your host name in there. Yeah, I guess like if if you want to see like what box it's running on, the tags are a really good place to do that. So like the host name would do that for you. Something that we do, uh, I'm trying to think about what we do. Sometimes we put the application in there when it's like coming from different sources. That's not a great example, but... But I could use it like a regular tagging system if I didn't, as you said, wanted to put the type, like if I were instrumenting an HTTP request versus, say, a WebSockets request, instead of having to say app.web or app.websockets.whatever the route is, Mm -hmm. I could just instrument the function and then have a tag that said WebSockets. Yeah, absolutely. And like host, web, yeah, what type, something like that, you know. That's cool. Yeah, like the tags are really useful for stuff like that. Just like being able to send it over and having that full support for tags, I think is nice. So, You know what else is nice about Datadog is they charge you per host. Yeah. And we had dozens of hosts for our old Ruby app, but we have one host for our Elixir app. So that is way cheaper to run. I mean, it's a big box, but it's still one host. Right, right, right. So you're, only, you're not paying a lot right now. Mm-hmm. yeah i think the dashboards in datadog are very good as well and like you can also something that i that so first of all if you haven't used statsd uh, there's a ton of fantastic writing from the etsy ops team who invented statsd in the protocol i, could, I don't know a good five years ago or so at this point but i have a lot of great writing about like why it's useful why instrumentation is important and and just like those general concepts and i think you'll hear a lot of people talk about instrumenting your app and like Yes, like you should definitely do it. Like I, I think in days gone by, if you've been from like a Rails background or something a bit more like uh, more of a dynamic language, you might have used something like New Relic, where 
uh, out of the box you just drop in the new relic gem or whatever and then it sets up another process that will just monitor your app and give you kind of continuous health monitoring in the elixir space there's definitely a bit more legwork you have to do to get this kind of stuff set up what we're talking about here is kind of rolling your own uh, effectively rolling your own new relic and there's some really good blog posts out there that will kind of help you and point you in the right direction of what to do to get started there are also a few off-the-shelf solutions if you have a phoenix app and you just need to do some quite straightforward monitoring of uh, response times and figure out what controller actions are slow and things like that there are some out-of-the-box solutions for that that they escape me right now but i can remember seeing some so i would not recommend new relic for a phoenix app first of all i don't think new relic is that great i don't think it's been good for a long time i find it just the interface is impenetrable Mm -hmm. and i can never remember how to get to the screen that i want to get to i mean things like real user monitoring is is kind of nice but honestly like rolling when you say rolling my own new relic by adding my own instrumentation to the app it's it's really simple and Ecto now and Phoenix have good facilities for hooking into those, like, into the queries to get metrics on query times or into your having a, having a plug to instrument your request times. But again, like, dropping the stuff in yourself is pretty simple. It's one of those, like, degenerate functional programming things that's so easy, people don't bother to write libraries for it. Right, def- definitely. Don't, don't let that deter you. Uh, so um a couple that i was thinking of that uh, i just looked up are um so there are uh scout which is uh one of those all-in-one kind of monitoring platforms and there's app signal as well which both of those have come out of beta and they're in a full production mode for elixir apps and they're pretty much like out of the box you drop something in and you can go um also we should give a shout out to exometer as well which exometer Oh, is that how you say it? That's how I say it. Damn it. Um, have you used that? Uh, I think I did at one point. I definitely did. So it, it it gives you like a bit of an abstraction layer over the top of monitoring the some parts of the Erlang VM. So out of the box, Exometer or Exometer will basically set up a monitoring process and you can kind of opt into the different metrics that you care about on the VM level. And then you can tell it to basically send them. And it has like a pluggable interface. So you can say like, oh, use the StatsD plugin and then send that all to Datadog or whatever it might be or send it to Graphite or whatever. So it has a way to do that. I, at this point, tend to not do that if I want to instrument the Erlang VM, which definitely please do that if you're running mm-hmm. an Elixir app in production uh, with any meaningful traffic. I tend to just roll my own kind of like gen server process that every i don't know like every 10 seconds or something will check out some some parts of the uh, the erlang vm and then report back via statics to whatever it needs to report back to yeah because all these statistics that you would see about the vm or in the observer whatever are readily available uh i forget the function call but it's like a basic system.info function call and it gives you this map of how many processes you have, how much memory they're using, whatever. And I did that too for a, a hot second. And then I found a cool library called VMStats Sync, VMStats mm. underscore sync, which is an Erlang library, but it's pretty easy to drop into your Elixir app. You just declare a module and you add the VMStats sync behavior to it. 
and you implement a couple of callback functions for like timing and gauge and whatever. And it's sort of meant to work with StatsD. So it spins up a process behind the scene that collects these things. Memory usage, process count, reduction count, uh, scheduler wall time, and forwards them on a Datadog. So it's even simpler than your gen server. That's cool. Yeah, yeah it's it's pretty slick. So I'd recommend that. So we use uh, Recon, which is an Erlang library that gives you a bit more insight into the Erlang VM. I'll link to it in the show notes as well. So, uh, and it has, it's basically like a collection of functions to to do some debugging around the uh, the Erlang VM. So, like that that's been really useful if you um, you know if you want a bit more insight into the VM and it it deals with some of like the anomalies of the the, the VN and the scheduler for you and kind of mm-hmm. normalizes a few values and things like that. So actually your solution sounds even simpler yeah it's it's ridiculously simple nice i'll definitely check that out because uh it'd be nice to swap this out at some point but uh, we'll we'll link to all these libraries in the show notes i think um they're all pretty useful for doing this and that there's been a couple of good l- articles written about doing this kind of stuff as well i know that pinterest had a a library around exometer called elixometer that makes it just a bit easier to kind of define this stuff and gives you a kind of annotation or decorator kind of esque thing if you want to measure a function execution and just have it all just work um, which is kind of like the the decorator thing that i talked about a couple of episodes ago <laughs> that no one likes but, it just sort know. of swatted you down on that yeah but there you go there you go oh also there's another library called tap which is uh a really spin tap tap which is a wrapper around recon trace which recon is the library i was just talking about in erlang and gives you some kind of simplistic inter- it gives you an interface into recon basically just a, a bit of a nicer wrapper around it sounds like christmas here with all these wrappers Oh, yes, there's definitely a lot. So um, you should have a look at all of these and figure out what's best for your application. But uh, I think, I don't know, I think that there's a lot of good options out there. I think like there was a the early days of Elixir was a, a bit of a case of like roll your own of all these things. But like I think the ecosystem and, uh, has kind of matured quite a lot at this point where there's actually a lot of good viable solutions out there, especially for running larger scale production apps. It's interesting because the solutions are a mix of things that have been around for a while. Like I'm using this Erlang library that was super simple to integrate and Datadog, which was there and is not Elixir specific. So like the Elixir integration part has been, I mean, there's the statics library. That's mm-hmm. true. That's been nice. But like even rolling your own StatsD, it's not even the StatsD server. It's just like sending packets of data over UDP. Yeah. It's not super complicated. Yeah. And if you just have to run the Datadog agent, it's really not that much effort on a, on a host as well. So, aha, I said UDP packets, they're datagrams. They're not packets. Nice. Good catch. That's right. Strive for accuracy on this technical podcast. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Like, this stuff seems really hard, but actually dig into it. And it's like, actually not that difficult to build dashboards that are fairly encompassing of your app's performance with quite minimal effort as well, right? Like, it, it will take you like a day and you can have a decent dashboard up and running and have a ton of metrics flowing to it. And I think the other thing to note here is like, instrument the things that are important to your app as well right like start there and then work outwards don't try and do everything from day one you'll have a probably like an overload in metrics noise which is a thing that we had for a while so yes Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I got nothing. That's a good idea. <laughs> I yeah, I so and you're right. Stats D and all this stuff is pretty simple. And also like the, I think Elixir, Phoenix, and Ecto do a really good job of having hooks in which to implement kind of your own metrics gathering. Uh, so we do that a lot, for, especially for Phoenix. We have things that are like running to know, uh, which is just a plug where you can have like an around function that gets executed around the plug call to say like just instrument this entire request. And you can st- set something that has a start time and then we'll do an end timer after the function has been executed and after all of your other plug, plug stacks been executed. And then you can send that data off to somewhere to record how long that request took. And like, it might seem crazy to people to do this themselves, but it's really not that bad. Did Ecto get facilities for logging query times and stuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a good article that will tell you how to do this for Ecto 2. I think that's when it got added and it got a bit simpler for so you could drop it in and basically log slower queries or whatever you wanted to do there. I haven't found that especially useful, but that's purely because we have a lot of good stats coming from our DB from RDS already. But I, I like something I guess that would be important is logging slow queries if you've got those. But again, like short of having like a really easy way to figure out where it comes from uh which i think you can do with like controller logging plus if you've got something like rds query logging you can you can figure out like what the query is that's slow and therefore where the, where it's been where it's originating from so there's other ways around that as well if you don't want to put instrument ecto directly yeah it's funny because you have to get the query times like from the application level you'd think i mean postgres knows how long the query took but at that point the query would have sensitive data in it mm. which you don't want to log directly and it we have we would have no way of stripping that stuff out i think right 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 but otherwise you know you can get everything from postgres stats yeah yeah that's yeah, true you really can yeah that's cool yeah um i think we'll have a bunch of stuff in the show notes for today there's a lot of a lot of great tools out there don't be afraid to experiment and i yeah i think yeah i, I think my advice would be like you have to work a little bit harder than you might in some other apps slightly it's not just like a one like drop in a library and go off to lunch kind of job you know like there's a little bit more to do but don't be overwhelmed by it like it doesn't take long to get this stuff set up and uh the benefits are like enormous basically especially if you don't have error logging <coughs> cough desmond cough um, hey we so do have error logging you said it- it's just not a computer program yeah, so I would start there if I was if I was your team. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you what to do, being that you are the engineering leader there. <laughs> Thanks. Yep, there We're you go. Challenging my authority. Yeah, I know, right? I hope your team don't listen. <laughs> Maybe by the time this episode comes out, we'll have solved the problem. Absolutely, because it should take you about 20 minutes to drop in a sentry or honey badger or something like that. So, oh, thanks for the advice. There you go. Uh, so yeah, I think if anyone's had any other experience with some of these other applications, so love to hear from you. Uh, love to understand what you're doing today in your Elixir app. Um, there is oft- often a plethora of options out there. So uh, hopefully this is helpful if you're just getting up and running. Yeah, it seems cool how easy it is to know everything that's happening in your application, like in your Elixir application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it actually is. Instrument yeah. the VM and controller requests or different processes and like oh the process died like let's log that too i mean you really have incredible visibility into what's going on actually i have a cool metric story just from yesterday in fact oh 
Uh, so we jumped into our Datadog dashboard. Um, we have that kind of visible as a team a lot. And we look in and we see our request count that's gone up. Like we have insanely predictable traffic patterns, so much so that like you could kind of like set your watch by it, you know, like things are very, very straightforward. And then we see the spike that's basically doubled the traffic over a period, especially over the weekend, which is very unusual for us. So from that dashboard, then we have another dashboard that also instruments at a controller level about which controller is being called the most. So we have a, re- like a kind of response count that gets triggered per controller. Mm-hmm. And then we have another dashboard that is, well, sorry, we have another set of graphs that per controller shows which action is being called the most. So from those three dashboards, we could derive the fact that this one controller action was basically being called like a lot more than it was previously. So we're talking like double the number and we could see the graph going up from those three different dashboards. And then we started our investigation from that point, jumped into our logger, realized that this thing was basically must have been being called on a loop because we saw uh, repetitive calls for the same kind of customers and uh, repetitive calls for each person. And then from there, we kind of took that and then carried on figuring out like debugging, where was it from, looked at the logs, figured out the source of the logs, figured out exactly. And it turned out there was a there was a bug going on where uh, a loop was happening that was causing like a, a lot of these calls to be made per customer. We figured that out. We identified the issue. We fixed the issue and we saw the metrics return to normal. So just a, a nice, very relevant story for my team uh, about those kinds of things going on. They lived happily ever after. Yeah, in this case, definitely. But like, like I, I'll, um, I, I'm going to hopefully try and share some a couple of screenshots of our of our dashboards because uh, they, I mean, they're not a thing of beauty. I don't think like Datadog is like the most that like the best looking dashboards, but they're, they're super useful. You know, like looking at your normal state of your application and seeing deviations over time is is just so so useful. So. Yeah, not just for you, Chris, and the engineering team, but I think also for the rest of the company, because it, let's face it, like a lot of the work we do is not that visible. And I think it's important to surface some of these things, like to have a TV up where the rest of the organization can see, even in passing or even subconsciously, like, oh, how many users do we have right now? Or here's some response time thing, or here's just, I don't know, science or engineering, or whatever. Like, I do think it's important to project some of this stuff to the rest of the company and kind of market yourselves a little. And Definitely. I think having yeah. a dashboard, it doesn't have to be pretty, but having something that people can look at goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, getting your team oriented around that dashboard and thinking about it, trying to reduce those those kind of load times and seeing things go down or maybe go up, depending on what you're trying to track and what you value. Yeah, I'd say it's a, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah, I uh, have one pitch that I want to make, and then we can maybe wrap things up. I have worked for a lot of startups, and what I found was that startups are typically a bunch of people in a room working on something. And we can have these metrics, and we can run database queries to see analytics and so forth. But you don't always get a sense for your app is doing stuff, or there are people on your app doing things other than uh, sort of, what's the word, antiseptic graphs and lines and numbers. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool? 
if you could have a TV up on the wall and instead of a graph, it would have a heart that would beat anytime something happened. And you could decide what something is. Maybe a user signs up or users send messages to each other. So then you're working and you have this heart kind of beating over you, letting you know that your app's alive, like people are doing stuff. And I wrote that. That was one of my first Elixir apps. Actually, that app was the reason I got into Elixir because I needed WebSockets to be able to push out to the heart when to beat. Like I couldn't just pull the server for uh, these incoming events. Like they had to happen in real time. And I wrote that in Action Cable and that went nowhere because it scaled to no users. And so that's what set me off in the hunt for like proper WebSockets. And that's when I stumbled on Elixir. Mm. So I have a soft spot in my heart for that app. Which, if anyone is interested in checking out, you can find at pulse.crevalli.io. Uh, I don't do a lot with it these days, but I always thought that was sort of a cool thing. But it's still there and it lives on. Nice. Well, I want to give one more plug as well, just before uh, <laughs> okay. we end the show, which is uh, Desmond is actually speaking at a conference in November. Um, so we, just to do a bit of cross-conference pollination. Obviously, Desmond and I are both organizers at MPEX, which is one of the premier regional conferences of Elixir. But uh, right now, we want to talk about another conference that's going on. So that's called the Big Elixir. And that's in November, uh, on the 8th and 9th of November in New Orleans, which I just found out is called the Big Easy. So I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, but now that, that name makes a lot of sense. So One less um, mystery. So Desmond is speaking there along with uh, one of my teammates, who's Elijah Kim. Um, and Eli is going to be talking about our event bus at Frame.io. Um, so I would say his talk and Desmond's talk about hot upgrades are two not to be missed. Uh, there's also a bunch of other great speakers there. So check it out. Uh, it's thebigelixir.com and we'll put that in the show notes as well. Regular listeners will know that I'm a big fan of hot upgrades, and I've talked about them a little bit on the show. So I've expanded that into a full 40-minute talk. So if you're interested in finding out more, definitely come down and check that out. And New Orleans is a good place to be, like, not in the summertime. Right. I'm going to be there as well, by the way. Um, so maybe we should do a podcast down there. Hey, that's a great idea. Yeah. So come check us out. We'll be there. November. Yeah. Which feels like a long time away, because it's only july well by the time you hear this it'll be august but there you go mm. we're giving away all our secrets <laughs> yeah so be sure to check that out tickets are on sale and yes. it'd be great to see you down there yeah and on that note i think we should wrap up we've been going on for long enough another so... rapper great <laughs> oh damn so uh yeah if you have any feedback about this episode or any other just uh get in touch with us we're always available you can tweet us at twitter.com forward slash elixir talk or you can get in touch with us on github if you open up a question at github.com slash elixir talk slash elixir talk we're also on the web at elixirtalk.com. yeah and you can rate this uh podcast on wherever you get your podcast that'd be super helpful for us obviously more listeners the better tell your friends all of those things social referrals you know so thank you very much for listening everyone and as always keep elixir keep elixiring <laughs> <laughs>